Welcome to the Phoenix Cast, a podcast about cybersecurity, technology, and innovation issues in the military. We are your hosts, John, Rich, and Kyle. Rich and I are both U.S. Marines, and the opinions expressed on this cast are those of the host, not official military policy. And the opinions expressed by me are my own and not those of my employer or any other businesses that I am associated with. For today's episode, we have a very special guest, Major General Glavy. Sir, thanks for coming on the cast. Could you give us a quick intro? Thanks, you guys. And it is great to be on the cast. Longtime listener, first time caller, and uh, pretty, pretty cool to be on this with you guys. So uh, my name is Major General Matthew Glavy. Uh, I'm an aviator. Of course, all aviators have a call sign and it's, uh, it's skirt. Uh, and I have the incredible honor of leading the men and women of U.S. Marine Corps Forces Cyberspace Command. And, and sir, again, th- thank you so much for coming on the cast. So the first question I have for you is, and, and you hit it for me right there in the bio. So you're you're an aviator, and and I would argue you've you've taken over one of the most, if not the most, technical commands in the Marine Corps. I, is this something where the aviation world has just completely translated over, or is is there a bit of a learning curve? And, and what's that feel like? Well, there's no doubt, first and foremost, that there is a bit of a learning curve, uh, goes without saying. You know, my background uh, also included, I was a a systems engineer at the Naval Academy. Uh, I I was a heck of a a Fortran uh, programmer and a little uh, Dartmouth basic here and there, and and even even some uh, machine language. So systems engineering was, you know, graduate in 1986, was about you know, uh, computers and microprocessors being part of systems, uh, mechanical systems, electric systems, hydraulic systems. But this idea, idea of feedback in order to make a system much more efficient and effective. So from there, obviously going to aviation uh, it was a far cry from anything I did at the, at the Naval Academy. But I came back to this uh, world of, 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 uh, of cyber and computers. I worked on the joint staff in the J-39, which dealt a lot with information operations. And, you know, back in the day was kind of the infancy of, of cyber, at least from a normal domain in the Department of Defense. And then from there, I, I got the opportunity uh, to come back uh, to cyber. When I went to Cyber Command as a, as a general officer to be the uh, deputy J-3 uh, in in cyber command, and then of course the incredible good fortune of winning the lottery and coming to U.S. Marine Corps Forces Cyberspace Command. So, how does that correlate to aviation? Uh, c- certainly, the operational side of it is is paramount. Uh, what you do in aviation, this idea of planning, briefing, rehearsing, executing, debriefing, is it's kind of the world of, of aviation and it's about reputation, uh, repetitions and, and learning and getting better and better at your tradecraft. And there was a, uh, in, incredible uh, op- opportunity to kind of do your job every, every time you did your job. And what I mean by that, whether it's training or combat operations or flying the president or flying an off, on and off uh, U.S. man of war in some godforsaken places, you know, you, you're doing your job and there's this, this incredible sense of satisfaction by being operational. So, so coming into cyber, uh, I, I realized that a lot of that is similar. This, this operational construct, at least working with you all, that's been uh, for sure the case, right? We have been 
executing missions, you know, operationalizing and in, improving our, our network really revolves around this this idea of doing your job every day and at the end of the day have something to show for it. And and sometimes that something is big and sometimes it's really small. But the fact of the matter is, uh, I think w- one of the ideal things uh, that, that come into this has been the idea of being able to do your job every day and at the end of the day ha- having uh, outcomes and results that, that kind of reflect your hard work. Again, some days are better than others, and you guys know that. Uh, but, but I think this idea of being operational has, has afforded me a great opportunity to go from aviation into this cyber, into this world of networks, both defending them and fighting them. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been a thrill, and uh, I, I love every minute of it. So, sir, it sounds like you were a nerd coming into this, and now you've sort of went away from nerd to aviation and come back to nerd at cyber. Do you think that that, uh, do you think it's a prerequisite to be sort of a nerd coming into this to be successful in your role? So I think those are, I, I, when you say nerd, I have this fondness in my heart for that. Absolutely. And I, I don't sir, know if it. I could put, I don't know if I could put myself in in your category. You you guys have earned. Oh, sir, you program that. Fortran. You are well within our category. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so no, that's fair. But, but I'll be honest with you. I, I think, you know, this is really about a love, right? And, and why I think, and, I, and parochially, why we've been successful and, 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 and these guys on the show, whether you know it, right, isn't about me. Uh, it's about people who really love what they do. And this idea of nerd, and you can call it whatever you want to call it, is about really loving what you have this in this insatiable passion, right, to, to understand something and, and, and to be good at something that, that I think few people understand. And there's certainly equivalency in, in aviation, you know, wanting to be, you know, wanting to be good, wanting to be the best and what it takes to, to do that being in the simulator, being what I like to call a gym rat, right? And, and always wanting to improve yourself. And, you know, you know, Malcolm Gadwell talks about, you know, doing something 10,000 times. And, and at that point, you know, you can be really great at it. I think, you know what? What John and Rich have told me: if you're passionate about something and and you put your heart and soul to it, and that's something you know becomes a part of you, boy, you, you're going to be pretty good at it. And I would not put myself in that category yet. Uh, and and you know maybe too late for me to be what what you all are and how passionate you are about it and how good you are at it. I I probably share the passion, but I don't know if I share the skill that 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 you all have. Well, I think we, we appreciate your modesty in that, sir. All good. All right. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double down on a couple other things that I wanted to ask you about today. We, and it really revolves around how you made that transition back into something as complex as cyber, and whether that's working in the J39 or working you know, as the CG of cyber right now. Are there any things that you would recommend to others who maybe didn't have the, the necessarily in-depth nerd background that we talked about and, and that you have? What do you think is critical for people who are rotating into cyber, especially in senior leadership positions? Uh, what do you think is critical for them to know? How do you think they should train or educate themselves or what resources were useful to yourself? Just trying to see what your recommendations are for others who are coming into this, uh, maybe a little cold. No, that's a great question. Thanks, Kyle. So I would, I would say first and foremost that you know, especially coming into it later, like, like I have, I mean, really where it's, you know, my full responsibility is, is you got to show up with a lot of humility, right? You, you, you got to be humble. Uh, you know, 
I, I, I find myself, you know, as, as a commanding general of 2nd Marine Aircraft Wing, I always found myself in a pretty good spot, right? I, I could talk my way through and think my way and plan my way through and, and even in some respects, right, fly my way through, right, the world of aviation as a commander on top of a, of a, of a Marine Aircraft Wing. Uh, you know, in this world, uh, you can't, right? And, and, and you don't even want to pretend that you can. And so there's a couple of variables, and, and, and one certainly is, is humility. you got to show up with plenty of it. Uh, and, and then the second uh, uh, part is you got to be in this, this incredible learning mode. Uh, you know, and I find myself often in that category, especially around uh, John and Rich and others, right, that I'm always learning from them. And that sounds a, a bit odd and probably, you know, from a leadership standpoint, uh, you know, this, this idea of, of, of being, you know, the teacher student and, you know, the father son, you know, sometimes, you know, in, in, Lejeune, in General Lejeune's leadership message, right, here I'm, I'm supposed to be the teacher per se, but, but I find myself being the student. And, uh, I, you know, you got to be able to do that. There's, there's really no other way. And even if you're a nerd and even if, you know, you, you, you have skill and tradecraft uh, in, in this environment, it's always changing. There's always someone who knows more than you. And, and you got to be able to check your ego at the door. It goes without saying. And then, and then the second part, and, and this is, you know, really important. You got to have this humility and you got to be able to learn. So, so the third part to correct myself is you got to be able to empower, uh, boy, if you, if you don't have the ability to let go, you know, to empower those around you, especially those that know so much, uh, you, you'll, you'll, you'll never, you'll never be successful. And so sometimes I'll be honest with you. I find myself in this humble state out of necessity, in this learning state out of necessity, and in this empowering state out of necessity. If we're going to be successful, guys like Rich and John and and so many others, right? They they got to be empowered to do what's got to get done. And 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 though certainly I'm accountable and responsible and it's never lost on me to however anything turns out, whatever we do, believe me, it's me, you know, going back to the commandant or me going to the commander U.S. Cyber Command saying, you know, hey, sir, but, you know, we screwed up or, or whatever the case may be. Luckily, Kyle, I haven't had to do that because I got some pretty great people that that obviously that have uh, have, have made us look good. Uh, but but those are those are just three things you, that, that I would tell you that humility learning and uh, empowerment that are, are critical if you're going to walk into this as a, in a leadership role and and, and want to be successful. Sir, thanks so much for that feedback. I, I thought that was excellent. Um, kind of coming at this from a different direction. So if if they listened to you and, and they did all these things and they developed themselves, they stayed hungry, um, and now they're kind of coming into a world where they might have these these new cyber, either officers or enlisted Marines, are going to have a, a pretty high level of skill in, in a certain area. But, you know, in, in general, cyber is not just 
going to be the, the only facet of the war. So we're going to have to interact with, uh, you know, Department of State, higher level headquarters, et cetera. What recommendations do you have for cyber folks communicating with non-cyber folks? Because I think this is probably, if I had to pick a, an area and, and wave my wand to just make us magically good, it'd be co- communicating outside of the operational field. So do you have any recommendations for those who are kind of trying to, to learn to speak non-cyber uh, about cyber things? Yeah, this is a huge problem. It's, it's really, it's a big problem. I know that sounds, sounds weird is, and, and, and the problem is that, you know, even, you know, we got artillery officers, heck, our chief of staff is a new commander infantry officer. So, but they walk into this, into this environment and in a very short period of time, oh my goodness, their lexicon, their, their language, their, their speak, it's, it's all wrong. It's, it's it's hard then to to articulate and communicate, uh, you know, with with the rest of the Marine Corps, and you know when I talk about things like like infrastructure, I'm sure as I say this ten times during the course of a brief or update that I'm giving, people are saying, why is he so concerned about the roads? What, what are the roads? What, what does he deal with? Why is he dealing with roads? I mean, we, we do this, we do this all the time, things like tools. And I mean, you guys know the routine fairly well. And so I'm very sensitive that how I explain myself, and I don't necessarily think I've, I figured it all out yet, uh, that, that I got to really, I mean, you, you, you have to be careful on how you speak because, because then you'll almost be counterproductive in what you're trying to describe uh, to, to senior leadership and, and if senior leadership or, or, you know, even peer leadership or even, you know, the other commanders in the Marine Corps, if they don't understand that you're in this uphill climb. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, I, I think this is one of our, our, our challenging areas and why, you know, I, you know, probably personally, professionally, hasn't been effective as I want to be is how do you get the plain language discussion going on the technical aspect of something like like cyber that that really ends up in uh, uh, its own lexicon with a lot of peculiar words that mean different things to different people and and even those that walk in late to it immerse themselves into it and they don't even know it that now they're talking like like natives and uh, and sometimes can be counterproductive when when really our goal needs to be is is really to to educate and empower the rest of the Marine Corps if every commander is concerned about their network and more importantly the data that that it makes them successful whatever that be may be from maintenance to operations or to the people that they lead right if they gain a concern about it and really you know that's half the battle. And, you know, we can, we can take our 30 days of leave every year, but, but when we can't even communicate as effectively as we need to, because of the lexicon and, and what we've done, uh, it, uh, it is, it is problematic. Even words like the cloud, as I, as I went to all the the three-star MEF commanders and briefed them on what we were doing with office 365, I had to rehearse. How am I going to explain this? I I know, I know that sounds silly, uh, but, you, you guys really get it, but, you know, I start talking about how important this infrastructure is and our ability to move data and, 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 you know, what the cloud means and how we get cybersecurity and how we can command and control. I mean, I got to make sure that as I explain this and, and some of it's trying to correlate it to the physical domain with respect to aviation or, or, or maneuver or whatever the case may be, but it all doesn't equate 
one-to-one. So, you know, part of that is that, you know, we got to make sure that we, we understand it. And I'll be honest with you, you know, we had a great uh, visit by the commandant recently, and he talked about this. You, you got to explain this to the rest of the Marine Corps. And so that's a, that's a great question. It's a task that we're going to have to, to figure out. It's got to start early. It's got to start. In, and, and so the other side of it is now the rest of the Marine Corps has got to start learning the ways of cyber. There, there's no doubt about it. There's no going back. If, if we're going to have weapon systems and capabilities that, are, that, that rely on, on network, rely on IT, rely on microprocessors, guess what? You, you, you got to know how that stuff works. Uh, you got to. So we got to start that side of it too. So it's, it's kind of a, a mutual uh, undertaking of our ability to communicate effectively uh, in an understanding manner. And, and, then, and then everybody else raising their game to really understand how important this stuff called data is and you know, understanding some of the lexicon that's natural to, 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 to the domain. So two-way street, great. I, I don't think I've solved that. I, I try to, and we've had great visits, as you guys know. We've had a lot of Marine Corps senior leadership on deck to try to begin this journey, but it is very technical. And back to the nerd thing. I mean, you know, that's an incredible honor, right? Because you know something that so few people know, and you've put your heart and soul into knowing it. And you know, not not many people do. So we're going to have to get after that. And it's probably a, a good task uh, that you remind me of that I got to do better at. Hey, General, it's Rich. So I, I just, I want to jump in here because I think um, you know, your statement about it's a two-way street and then <clears throat> us getting better in general. Uh, I think just there's a couple key points I, I want to draw about out, uh, you know, from, from those statements. And the first one is, that whole two-way street thing uh, that you mentioned, I feel like there's a really good analogy to make here with any type of language learning, whether it's the language of cyber or programming or networking, you just got to immerse yourself, right? Like if, if I want to le- learn a foreign language, the best way to do it, um, you know, pre-COVID days, I'll, <laughs> I'll put that out there, was to get on a plane, fly to that location and immerse yourself. And you probably would have been smarter to uh, at least do a couple preparatory things, whether it's take a class before you go, but ultimately you had to put yourself in that environment um, and kind of immerse yourself. So I feel like that comment that you made about it being a two-way street. um, I also want to like tell our audience that the best way to break down barriers is to just jump in with both feet at the deep end of the pool and see if you can swim. Um, Because immersion is the best way that you're, you're really going to come up to speed. Uh, and I think then the second part is, you know, I've heard, I heard uh, a couple of folks um, and I believe it was one of the, the gentlemen um, uh, that I came across when I was transitioning back in 2012 to the private sector. Um, when I was going through some educational talks with folks uh, that were my mentors at Starbucks, um, when I was potentially thinking about getting a job there, they talked about, the best way to become an expert was just to read three books, right? They were like, you know what? You could become an expert or talk, be dangerously close to having the right vocabulary to talk with experts by just reading three books on that topic. So just the ability to, to dive deep and emerge yourself, as we've been talking about, you know, when Kyle mentioned, you know, uh, becoming a nerd, right? And you mentioned it's just having the passion, I mean, I can't, I mean, both of you are 100% correct there. And I think just reading books and immersing yourself, like 
that's the way to go. If you want to become fluent in this space, um, if, you know, not to sound too preachy, but um, breaking barriers into different market segments in the private sector works the same way. I mean, you don't, you don't learn to become a systems engineer overnight. You have to go immerse yourself. Um, so, and then the other thing I, I wanted to mention too, is I, I really think um, because this, this podcast is about technology and innovation in the DOD is this whole concept of systems integration. Um, I think is also what bridges the gap, you know, to John's point about how do we get folks talking with each other? Uh, well, we have sensors and we have shooters and somewhere between there are paths to your point. Right? Um, and we got to get the data from one side of the path, uh, one side end of the path to the other end of the path. So I think just by the nature of doing that systems integration, um, we're, we have to get better. We just, we don't have an option, right? If we want to defend the nation, then we're going to get better. Uh, and that's a massive oversimplification, but I think, you know, immersing yourself, making sure that, you know, you're diving deep to become an expert, reading three books, and then integrating our systems from sensor to shooter. I think those are, are three key points I want to draw out. Um, and so, Having said that, I think I'll, I'll transition kind of into a, a question I had for you, sir, which was, you know, 2020, to say the least, has been challenging. Um, so what advice uh, would you give young leaders to overcome wicked challenges in, in 2021 uh, moving forward? Wow. Thanks, Rich. Uh, uh, that, that's, a, that's a, again, a good, tough question. You know, whether it's 2020 or 2021 or 2019 or, or whatever the year it's going to be, there's this certain foundational, you know, requirements that we need to be good leaders. And you guys know it and you live it and you're very good at it, but you know, it's, it's all about these incredible people that we lead. And, uh, and you know, the, the, the challenge is going to be, and it really goes back to your first point is, you know, how do we make, the people that we lead successful. I, I hate to say it, and I, and I know that almost sounds backwards. Oh, I thought the mission was most important. And yeah, and, and it is. There's no doubt about it uh, that, that we got to execute our mission. That's why we're here. That's why we, uh, we raise our right hand and, and take that oath. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, I'll tell you, if you can make your people successful, uh, there, there's a lot of things are going to are going to take care of themselves covid or no covid virtual or in in presence um and and how we do that, that that's where i think some of of what what you've talked about in the early part of, of your 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 statement there and uh you, you got to somehow some way gain the passion and enthusiasm for people to want to immerse themselves in their work. It, it, it's got to be, it, it's, it's got to somehow, some way, you know, drive them to some level that they gain satisfaction out of it. There, there's, there's no other way around it. I mean, we gotta, we gotta figure that out. And uh, uh, that, that's, that's, that's critical. This idea of flow. I'm fascinated by it. I know you guys probably live in, in this idea, this, this, you know, this equilibrium where the task and the mind and, and your skills kind of match up to take you right real close to the edge of peak performance. And, and you're, you're, you're able to, to move and accomplish things that you may or may not thought you could, but, but I'm enamored 
uh, by that by that concept. And really, I, I get it from, you know, being around people like you. There's no doubt what you all have done on our network has has tasked you to the limit. There's no doubt, right? I'm around you every day. And I see it and I hear it. And, and I understand it for the most part, but, but to the degree that you're on the edge of your abilities to be successful, right? And, and successful is, it works, right? The damn thing works. But then my role in this case, in this, what, 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 what resources, what requirements, what empowerment, what's my role right now to make sure that you continue to operate at the edge of your capacity to gain an outcome that we need in order for our mission to be successful and you to have satisfaction doing it. I mean, it's, you know, every leader needs to wake up every morning thinking about those things because, you know, if, if every day was a holiday and every meal was a feast, right, we would get nowhere. So this, you know, I've, I've always, I've always defined fun. I've always had to define fun, right? You know, fun certainly is, is getting to hang out with you guys in lighter moments. But to me, fun is, is that construct where you are operating at your max, almost at your max capacity against a hard problem set. And you have what you need to be successful. And, and there's this flow, to over to overuse the word, uh, but to me, that that's fun, and 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 trying to attain that, I think, is every leader's, you know, really should be our responsibility. It's what I said is hard to do, and you guys know it. Some days we're good, and some days we're on, and some days it's really challenging. And maybe one of those things is out of whack, right? Maybe I the task is too hard. Maybe the resources uh, aren't aren't there. Uh, or, or you know, we haven't gotten the skills and the tradecraft required, which goes back to uh, the idea of, of immersion and reading and and all that stuff that makes ourselves better. So, I, I, I guess to answer your question, Rich, I, I think it's it's especially in this environment and probably in any environment is I got to look back. Every leader, right? What, what how, how do we make our people successful what, what are those things and there's there's a lot of them and certainly you know how, how we how we treat them and 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 so many other other things that go into leadership that I won't necessarily go into but but in this environment right how, how do we make them successful and to me that that that's going to take care of a lot of challenges of leadership and in, in leading great organizations well thanks sir I mean I the one of the things that I kind of picked up in your statement there is, you know, making people successful and knowing what those qualities are as an executive leader uh, are absolutely things that, you know, we look to folks like yourself and other leaders around the Marine Corps uh, to provide us. But I'll tell you from a feedback perspective, one of the things that I've learned um, from other executive leaders on the private side is not what doing what I call overclocking folks, right? Like having people work at about 85 to 90% of their capacity is kind of the sweet spot, right? To your point, it's not a feast and we don't have this overabundance of like resources. So if you're working at about 85 to 95% capacity, everybody on your team, and they're really putting forth all the effort, they're at least not, you know, constantly working at 125% because when you hit that point, that's you know when you get to the point where 
you're burning people out. So I think to your point, sir, I think what's kind of been great in working in this environment is in order to establish flow, you kind of have to hit that sweet spot where you don't burn out. And, and more importantly, all of us on this call as leaders, right, making sure that our folks don't burn out uh, underneath us uh, and giving them what they need to do that. So um, so I just I, I want to kind of tease that out, sir, because I think just some feedback for you. We've been given the opportunity to actually run at 85 to 90 percent without getting overclocked. Now, granted, there are times when that happens and, and we are defending the nation. So that will occur and we surge. But um, surging and maintaining a surge for a long period of time, you got at some point rest and refit. Um, so uh, to that point, sir, I, I did have <laughs> one one question. I know I kind of throwing things at you fast and furious here, but uh, you know, what, while our cast is undoubtedly about security technologies, right, as they relate to military initiatives or innovation and in innovating our paramount, you know, as an executive leader, what's your method to foster that innovation in organizations? So I know we talked about um, making people successful, but uh, I know you're a huge fan of Boyd, um, but, you know, adapting and orienting yourself to your environment. Uh, can you talk a little bit about innovation and, and how you try to foster that as an executive leader? No, that's, uh, that's great. No, thanks, Rich. And I am a big fan of, uh, of Colonel John Boyd, uh, U.S. Air Force uh, fighter pilot, very uh, famous for the Boyd OODA loop, observe, orient, decide, act. Uh, but, but most importantly, uh, from Boyd's perspective, is, is understanding the environment and specifically change in the environment. What's changed? And then what does that change mean for me or my mission or my unit or whatever the case may be? And then how do I use the change to my advantage? So I would tell you the, the, the current day Boyd Oodaloo probably would go something like this. And I'm, I'm using this from an author that I, I cannot remember who. So uh, make sure that gets uh, footnoted. Uh, but it goes something like this. It goes insight, imagination, innovation, right? You know, if you were to take the OODA loop and you place it on something that maybe, you know, today's generation would understand better, it would be this idea of insight, you know, trying to understand, you know, what is going on around us, detecting change, uh, seeking to understand change. Imagination, uh, you know, what is possible? What is you know, what is possible? What If we unconstrain ourselves, what now becomes possible? And then ultimately, innovation. And wow, then the results start happening. And uh, I, I think, you know, those that that type of concept, again, uh, used by some, you, you, I, I've heard from somebody else in a, and actually read it somewhere else, is I think something that would apply to a void of today in this technology, in this in this uh, generation of of leaders, uh, that that I think would be uh, appropriate. And sir, in the in the vein of constant reevaluation of circumstance, you're coming uh, sadly to the to the end of your command tour here. And I wanted to know has has your mindset mainly stayed the same throughout uh, command, or has there been a cyber event or circumstance that kind of 
took you back and made you say, hey, I want to kind of rethink the way that I'm approaching this thing? And is there maybe anything that you could share uh, with with executives that are that are coming into a similar circumstance and, and maybe something help you evolve your mindset? Yeah. And you guys have heard me say this before, but every 90 days about, and the, the number's probably not important, I, I need to reevaluate all my assumptions. What, whatever I thought and you know, thought I knew, or I, th- I thought, oh, this is the way, right? I've had to stop, right? Reevaluate. Is is this still accurate? Is is you know the way we're going and where we're moving to, and and perhaps to the frustration of many, I, I but I think it's so important. It, you know, it's we're, we're, we live in this constant state of of change. The technology, holy cow, you guys know it better than anybody. We're it's always changing. I mean, literally, it's it's changing in in the course of my time in in command. Uh, you know, we've we've probably been through a couple iterations of, of what we think right looks like. Uh, so, so I think the idea of 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 change and and the idea of of reevaluating your assumptions are so so important. You know, and sometimes that runs against the grain of of leadership, right? You're, you know, you 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 people talk about consistency and you know having this vision and and being deliberate. And sometimes in this environment, yeah, I had this vision, but guess what? It's, it's not quite right. And, and then it goes back to some of our opening comments, having the humility to say, I know, I know we said, I said, we're going to do this, but I don't think that's a good idea anymore. And, and, you know, technology has a vote. Hey, let's face it. You guys know this. The adversary has a vote, has a big vote. And, and certainly drives us in, in certain directions. And, and you guys know it well. And, and then, you know, you know, even decision makers in, in the political environment, you know, it's a civilian run military and understanding all that, those things change. They change and they, you know, uh, and we're about ready to go through more change and, you know, uh, good, bad, all, all, but, but it's change. And that's what I'm getting at is understanding the change and then being able to reevaluate your assumptions and go back and say, you know what, man. I wasn't quite right, and then being able to do that in front of your command, and 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 do it in front of front of front of you all. I mean, it takes a little bit of humility. I mean, it's one thing to get up there, hands on my hips, and say, "Okay, right, this is what we're doing, hell or high water." Uh, but, but that ain't gonna work. You you guys know it. I know it. In this environment, it doesn't work at all. In this environment, and I've heard you guys. Uh, uh, speak so eloquently about some of the challenges of our of our DOD acquisition system, right? Has a hard time with that, really does. And I, I don't have answers for it all, but I do know this environment and the assumptions that we make going into decisions that that we do, whether whether it's for missions or for acquisition or whether they tend to change fairly rapidly. It's a, it's an incredible dilemma. But step one, you got to be able to walk up and say, hey. You know, I don't think I had this one quite right. And and then go from there and figure out what that strategy is going to be. How do you how do you make a column half left or a column half right or whatever it may be? Because, yeah, we're going in the general direction of north, but we're going to have to go a little bit this way. And we really didn't foresee that when we started. And, and sir, is that just to follow up on that? Is that something you feel is important to call out and communicate? So, if you, you know, if you if you do your crazy Ivan and turn around and it turns out, uh oh, this, this was, you know, somebody's behind me or this wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. And, and you got to kind of check yourself and say, Hey, I, yeah, 
wasn't the, was the right call at the time, not the right call now. Do you think it's important to kind of make that big, make that public and make it clear? Or is this one of those things of like, you know, kind of like let the tide go towards the water as it may? No, it, it's it's something that you got to communicate often with. And, you know, I, I treasure, uh, you know, as, as you guys know, we, we tend to meet a lot. Uh, I, I enjoy the scrums. I enjoy what I, what I learn during them and they're constant feeding me on, you know, am I right? Am I wrong? You know, are we right? Are we wrong? And I think that constant engagement and, uh, uh, you know, based on a a passion for, for, for what we do, I think everybody kind of comes to these conclusions together in, in many respects. And so for me, right, yeah, I got it. I'm accountable, responsible, no doubt, right? Decisions that we're going to make, uh, you know, will, will be on me. Uh, but, but I think it's important, and, you know, that, that, and you all know this, but, you know, it gets back to some of this empowering stuff. But, you know, you and, and, and the incredible uh, Marines and civilians, right, they also have an onus and a responsibility to make sure I don't get it wrong, right? And you guys are very good at that, by the way, right? Uh, and you know, you got to be able to correct your boss. You, you got to, you got to, and the boss got to have enough humility to understand that. And, and you know what, it goes back to, Hey, you know, whatever guidance I gave, it's half right and it's half wrong. And, and we're going to have to move out in another direction and primarily probably learn that from, from someone who's, who's got incredible insight and, and is able to articulate that at the right place in time. So leadership can, can use that and learn from that to, to make modifications and course corrections as required. But, but it requires a culture. It requires a two-way street. It, it requires a lot of things to be able to, to do that. And really some really smart people that I've been blessed with. But, uh, but all that, you know, you, you, you got to have, you gotta have a, a humility to do it. You got to have a learning it environment in order to learn. And then you got to have people empowered to make those comments and corrections that are going to make us better. So, sir, I want to double click on something that you mentioned there. You talked about, you know, the culture of, of change and being able to have a culture where you can question things and, you know, update doctrine, if you will, or, or all the other ways to remain agile and nimble in this rapidly changing environment we all live in. And earlier you mentioned how we needed to really educate the entire core on what cyber means to them and how it influences the battlefield. And I think that, you know, the, the core has had this very long tradition of the commandant's reading list and things that sort of align all of our warfighters and leadership positions around, you know, a common body of knowledge. And I was very pleased earlier this week when I was talking to to John about this very cast and when he told me that there had already been books added to the commandant's reading list that covered the cyber domain. Um, and, and that like made my heart super happy. But I wanted to throw this the question over to you and say, do you feel that there should be more, number one, uh, that books that cover cyber on the commandant's reading list? And do you have any recommendations yourself for books that you'd like to see added there? Kyle just gave you the opportunity, sir, to, to you, you just mentioned correcting your boss. So uh, <laughs> Kyle, ex- excellent chance to correct the commandant. Yeah, yeah, sure. Watch me. No just one, watch no me. No one corrects the commandant. We just give gentle That's suggestions right. that he can use. <laughs> no, uh, it's it's good. So you know what I'll start off with? I, I'm just going to tell you that, that uh, there are good books. There are good books, but we need more. The problem in cyber, and, and you guys know this, especially our cyber, you know, and what we do, the classification. We, we have, holy cow, 
holy cow, we've we've classified, overclassified, reclassified, mm -hmm. and classified some more. And so we've made some of the knowledge attainment very challenging, especially as warfighters, and in, in why cyber is important to us from a warfighting standpoint. I mean, a lot of this, you know, we've kind of, and, and probably rightfully so, I'm not here to provide all the forensics on it, but but part of the problem is people can't write books because they can't write books because all the stuff's classified. So you'll find, and, and even when books are written, and we all know this happens, right? Oh my gosh, there's a, you know, terrible, someone leaks something and, you know, and classification then becomes unclassified and who knows, you know, what, what, what has happened and is there a danger or not? So first and foremost, I will tell you part of our problem with our reading list, just writ large, is, is the fact that, that, you know, we've classified the heck out of this stuff, especially from a warfighting standpoint. Uh, and then the books become very confrontational and they probably don't get them quite right because a lot of it's hearsay. It may be secondhand. So you end up with less than ideal information. Uh, but with that said, there, there's certainly, you know, I've always in, enjoyed, you know, back to Rich's point, uh, you know, immersion, immersing yourself into it and then learning from from what you read. And I, and I do have a, a couple of favorites. I'll be honest with you. One of my all time favorites, of course, is the namesake of this podcast. But I, I love the Phoenix Project. I, I, I found that to be I couldn't put the damn thing down, especially the first half of the book. It's absolutely phenomenal. I mean, it's almost like defensive of Duffer's Drift, right? I mean, it's like the poor guy. I mean, nothing's going to go right here. And uh, it's a wildly fascinating book. And I've recommended to to many senior leaders in the Marine Corps, if you want to know what my life is like, you know, tr try reading this thing. And uh, and and I think the Phoenix Project is a, is, a, is a great lesson. And it really puts into shape... What, what does it mean to run a network? What, what does it mean to, to gain order in, in this world of software development and how, uh, how complicated it can be? So I will tell you, that's an important, important one, one that I've uh, in, enjoyed. And so, you know, just what I've read recently, I'll, I'll probably start there. There's, there's others here. But the Kill Chain, I know you guys talked about that one in a past a podcast. I, I think that's a good one. I, I think we, we, you know, we got to understand that. We got to understand, uh, you know, what what's out there, and and uh, and then how, from a, especially from a, a, a DoD standpoint, how are we going to defend the nation? Uh, along those same lines, the hundred year marathon, I think, is is really a, a, appropriate. And then I, I'll tell you, there's a couple of ones that uh, have really helped me you know, from a leadership standpoint, how do I, you know, certainly I'm very proud of all my time in aviation, but, but it is different, right? Aviation and, 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 and what we do and how we do it, trying to make a, trying to make an airplane fly and, and a gearbox work correctly and all that is, is a lot different than, than what it takes to, to, to make a, a, a network go. Uh, I'll be honest with you, you know, in, in, in this cyber business, people mean everything, right? People can, they can change everything. I mean, it's, it's amazing what, what I have seen and what I've been fortunate to be around uh, with, especially with this great team. And, you know, you get some smart people, make, empower them a little bit, give them a mission. Holy cow. Yeah, it's really hard. And it is really hard. Back to that outer edge of their, you know, their, their, their competency, we, we push them. But it's amazing what they can, but they what they can do. But so a couple of these books are are Scrum, 
Uh, and I don't know if Richard, one of these guys, or John told me this one, Twice Work Half the Time is, is a really uh, a good book. I, I really like that a lot. And I never really, I'll be honest with you, I, I think some of it is a small unit leadership that the Marine Corps already has. Uh, but this this idea of incremental success over time leading to greatness, I think, is a concept we all could use. And of course, OKRs, Measure What Matters Most, uh, the John Dewar book, I think is a is another great one. And, and though it's not necessarily directly cyber or IT related, uh, I think it's... Uh, I, th- I still uh, f- find it uh, incredibly rewarding on, on what we got to do and, and how we got to do it. There was another book that I read uh, and, and I read it a couple of years ago when I first got here and it's, it's titled the hard thing about hard things. I don't know if anybody is, has read that one. Oh yes. But that, you know, it's a great book, sir. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's another one. You talk about challenging people and challenging those around you. And, you know, this about the bottom line and, you know, survival of a business and all that. But nonetheless, puts into play in a perspective of uh, of what is possible. I mean, the, the one thing about the cyber domain is many things are possible. And Google has proven that over and over again. And so many other technology companies, right, with with talent no doubt, right? With empowerment, with some imagination and all the other things we've talked about that a lot can get done based on incredible people. I mean, I think even more so than any other uh, 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 capability and technology out there, what, what, what you can do in this domain, I think is significant. So th- those are, you know, I, I've always, uh, you know, the Richard Clark book, uh, what's it called? Cyber War. I think it's always a good start. I think that's a really good starting point. Uh, for for what we do, and I've always liked the Singer books, the Like War and Ghost Fleet, and and there was another book. Uh, uh, it's a Thomas Friedman book, and uh, uh, goes something like uh, "Thank you for being late." It's a weird, co- a weird title. I know Friedman. You know, Friedman is a great storyteller, and he can he can articulate things in plain language about his you know to, from Beirut to Jerusalem, a great lesson on on the Middle East. Uh, but this book, thank you for being late. Uh, talk, you know, it, it's a it's a great story. But specifically, it talks about the year two thousand seven, when so many things happened that really changed the course of of of, of cyber and IT. And uh, the way he put that together, it's a uh, it's I don't know if the whole book's worth the the whole thing, but there are the parts of that book were really good to explain what happened from a, a technology standpoint. So anyway, that, that's uh, kind of went around the horn there. But uh, those are some of the things, some of the books that uh, that, that I've uh, I think have helped me. No, that's great, sir. Thank you so much. So, sir, uh, in in a first time for this cast and first time only, probably only time. Do you have any questions you would like to ask us uh, on the on the cast here? Wow, that is quite an opportunity and one I certainly can't uh, pass up. Uh, no pressure. There's probably sir. a no lot pressure. of them. Yeah, there's probably a lot of them. But but you know what? I'll tell you what, you guys. Uh, here's and, and I think you guys uh, are are the card carrying uh, nerds that that you are and and lived uh, the life of expertise that you have. I'll tell you, you know this idea. Of, of data and our networks being ubiquitous, uh, that they're always going to be around, that we can always you know, rely on them. 
I'll be honest with you. I, uh, you know, maybe being a bit of an outsider coming in and knowing that everything we do is, is very, very challenging and knowing that, you know, we owe it to the American people. We owe it to this nation to be most ready when the nation's least ready. I do have concerns about the ubiquitous nature of data and networks. So first, my first question is, do you think that we'll be at a state that data and networks are ubiquitous? In other words, we'll always have it. It's like the air we breathe and we'll we'll always have the ability to go to and from to get the data and to use the networks that we need to use. All right. So that is an excellent question, sir. And I, I have a very opinionated answer to that, that we, we've loosely talked about on the show and we've talked about a great deal offline, uh, the hosts and I. I. I feel that in any easy war, sure, that stuff's all going to be ubiquitous. And we're fighting a, a non-worthy opponent, so to speak. Uh, that stuff will always be there. I think that we've built enough redundancy into our systems to where you know we can handle the micro failures. But in any particular conflict that actually matters against a worthy opponent. I think that we should, you know, end up protecting all of the data, all the networks, uh, just as much as we protect our planes and our tanks and our supply lines. And we are inevitably going to fail at times because we will be fighting a worthy adversary the same way that, you know, and when we're going to keep it uh, unclassed here, the same way that we target those things too. And I feel very scared for what will happen when those things aren't around, when we don't have email to fall back on, when you know tactical radios become primary forms of communication for entire units, uh, for fleets, et cetera. And I, I, don't, I don't think we should prepare that they should always be available. Again, they're, they're, they're extremely great things to have, and they are extremely beneficial towards our warfighting capability, but we have to be able to adapt to not have them around, uh, if not for very small periods of time, uh, or or if not for long periods of time, for very small periods of time, I think that it's critical that we as an entire warfighting organization are able to go without and still put warheads on foreheads. Yeah, and, and I'll I'll take the torch from there and say, you know, I, I don't disagree with anything Kyle said, but I'll also say I don't think it's a binary transaction of like always on, always off, you know, 100% perfect or, or yeah. 0% terrible. Like there's probably going to be an in-between. Maybe it is a not at the capacity you're expecting, or maybe it's at a, you know, you're sending bits down range for somebody to take a look at. And you're just asking yourself the question of if it's worth the risk of sending it, well, you know, or something along those lines. Uh, but, you know, our Marine Corps training has has from TBS all the way through has taught us how to do this stuff without technology. I think the the thing I agree with Kyle about and the thing I'm disappointed about is we almost never reinforce it. And I'm not talking about uh, sending us to the to the tree tree line with compasses more frequently. I'm talking about maybe everyone not having a hissy fit the exact minute that your email goes down. Uh, you know, there are ways to lead other than that. Uh, and you know, from the top down, it would it would be definitely good to have some reinforcement that on a regular basis, and not you know obviously current uh, population excluded. But you know, next time your unit goes out to the field, commanding officer who who might be listening to this, maybe don't completely lose it if your email goes down for a couple minutes. Think think about how to lead when that when that's not ready for you because it's or, going to be degraded. Correct. Or walk into your content and say, go ahead and unplug everything for me for about a day. And just see what happens to your unit. Make that a TLO. I love it. It's great stuff, you guys. Great answer. Rich, what, what do you say? 
So, sir, I, I, I'm not going to repeat what, what everybody's already said. I just think this year, um, you know, I think it's been 19 going on 20 years that the Marine Corps published a Marine Corps doctrinal publication, mostly because it's been fighting the heck out of opponents in a trans-regional way. But, um, you know, Commandant Berger jumps on the scene and he drops two Marine Corps uh, warfighting publications, right? Um, one in learning and then the other one in competing, which just recently happened right around the holidays. Um, and so from my perspective, both of those publications lend themselves to the answer that, uh, you know, my fellow co-hosts have already given, which is we have to be able to operate and compete, right, in an environment where we know we don't have superiority in whatever the domain is, right? And I know in the military, superiority is a buzzword, whether it's air superiority, which never generally happens, or superiority in cyber. Um, These things seem to be like ethereal, right? Like, almost philosophical goals to try to obtain. But I really feel like if if we're not going back to the basics of, hey, in this environment, to Kyle's point, we might not have, and to John's point, we might not have the throughput we need over the radio waves, right? Or we might not be able to communicate beyond line of sight, but we should be able to take advantage of local advantages um, and, and put the bits downrange to connect the uh, the sensors and the shooters. And that might be over a very narrow band, very, very low bandwidth well, data links, right? That we, we just, we have to be good at making sure our survivable in nature, or if we can't have them on all the time, you know, through things like emissions control, maybe we only have them on for certain parts of the fight. So um, while that might seem, <laughs> uh, again, very, philosophical in nature, sir. I just think that uh, you know, the, these pubs that came out this year kind of get to the essence of the original pub, MCDP-1, which is warfighting, right? How, how do we do this? And I think learning and adapting to what you kind of really talk through a lot of this podcast and then using it in a way to compete where we're always competing, which is that second pub that the CMC put out there. Um, I just think those things are just super relevant right now. Um, and, and timing is everything in warfighting. Um, so that's kind of my answer, sir, (laughs) rather than uh, ranting more. Uh, I feel like we have two really good examples, um, in 2019 to take a look at from a doctrine perspective and then branching outside of doctrine, just knowing what we know as Marines, we're not really going to always have the best tools to engage the enemy, but we got to make do with what we have. That's great. Hey, thanks you guys. I've always wanted to ask a question here on the Phoenix cast. Now I got my, uh, my wish came true. Well, sir, we still got more time. You got any others that are uh, tooling around? Wow. There are, are quite, quite a bit. I, I'll, I'll throw one more out at you, you guys. D- does, does the defense ever gain an advantage in this environment? We seem like we're always on the wrong side of, of, of the equation there. You know, I guess the first part of it is, is why is that? And second, when are we going to compile good software that prevents adversaries and others from, from, from breaking and, uh, and causing damage? 
So, so John and Rich, I want to take this first really quickly, only because I listened to a podcast about a week ago when I was driving my car in one of my rare outings to the grocery store, and it was talking about this exact topic, sir. And I was like almost yelling at the dashboard of my car. My opinion is, is this group of panelists were talking you're about. Not gonna, you're not going to yell at me, Kyle, are you? No, 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 absolutely not. I, I, I'm going <laughs> to elevate my voice and I'm going to knife hand to the general public. But I, I feel super strongly, sir, that the defense is never going to have the upper hand in this engagement. Uh, because to your second question, when are we going to be able to like trust our software? When are we going to be able to have the software suite that you know provides that sort of defense in depth as a service and, and gives us all the things? That the answer is never. You, you just you can't be ahead of it enough. And no software company. I'm going to generalize, perhaps uh, um, unfairly, but no software company has enough security people that are diverse enough and smart enough ever on staff to be able to test their equipment and their software fully. Just, it's never going to happen. You're always going to be able to find someone who is just thinking in a way that you never thought to think of, uh, or using a toolkit that didn't exist when you wrote the software or created the hardware that's going to find weird ways to break in. Um, you know, you can put the, the biggest gates around your house and the strongest windows, but like with a big enough dump truck, you can drive right through most of that stuff. And, and it's just tough. It's really, really hard to be effective in the defense. And you have to that's not to say you can't invest in it. You have to have strong defenses. You have to invest in that heavily because you have to lower your surfaces for attack. But you have to be able to hit back and you have to be able to hit back with force and with shock and awe, if you will, or, or whatever you want to call it. And therefore, the offense will forever be king, I feel, in cyber. Wow. So I guess we got a lot of work to do, you guys. Well, so I'll take this <laughs> in another direction. I, I'm not actually, I don't actually disagree with what Kyle is saying. However, there is an opportunity here and, and there are some things that the defense has. So, so yes, to all of Kyle's things. And I think ultimately, yes, the offense by far pretty much is going to maintain an advantage and probably a pretty strongly leveraged uh, position of advantage. However, uh, Man, the defense has got an awful lot of tools at their disposal, uh, and and I would say in in the current the current setting, we have the ability to have more data available to us. Um, it, it's unprecedented how much data we can store and filter and manage. And there's some really sweet software that is written to help us kind of parse through all of that information. Uh, we've got a a bunch of information at our fingertips. And that is an advantage in and of itself, maybe not a relative advantage to, you know, the, the offense where they pretty much just got to find one way and it's, it's bad news for you. Uh, but we've got a lot of data at our hands here and, and pretty soon we're going to get you, we're going to get really, really good at using that data and figuring out kind of more adaptive and more predictive type of algorithms and, opportunities to employ them. And once we start getting single-minded, focused, and fluent at doing that, I don't think it's going to be as bad. Uh, and Kyle can maybe make the argument of how realistic what I just said getting put into practice would be. I, I think you make an excellent point. I just think that having the information is one thing. Being able to actually do anything with that information and respond quickly enough to mitigate an, an offensive operation is really, you know, that's the nirvana, right? Like if I have to imagine, John, you waving your magic wand for US cyber as a whole, it's to say, yep, we, we have like all the ones and zeros, all the logs for the last two years, we've got all the intelligence operating on them, we've got automated alerting coming in, and we'll be able to say, oh, look, there's bad guy X sitting in server Y, let's just watch them and figure out what they're doing. 
uh, you know, that's the dream that we all live in. And, and I think that there is immense value in striving towards that goal uh, and immense protection for our nation in striving towards that goal. But I also think that no matter what, I think you're always just behind the curve. I, I think there's just too much to not know where you just simply, you know, any zero day is always going to catch you always. Yeah. Well, it, there's one thing I'll add in here guys to, to just add kind of a, a different perspective here too, um, which is a little nuanced, but to answer your question directly, general, I think the one place the defense has the advantage is we know unequivocally better than the enemy. What, our critical data is. Um, we, we know what our intellectual property is, right? So we, we might not be able to constantly protect it everywhere it's located at all times, especially when you get into cloud type environments where you have multi-master databases where you can replicate data all over the globe in different data centers. Finding where that data is or tracking it on your own internally becomes hard. But I do think that defense has the advantage in the sense that it knows where its critical data or, or knows what its critical data is. I won't say sometimes knows where it's at. But and the reason why I bring this up is to talk about the value of penetration testing and red teaming. You know, I've heard a lot of people in the private sector say, if I, if I had to shrink my budget um, down to this is the one thing my customer wants, and so I'm going to build that service or product for them, the rest of the money I have, I'm going to invest it in penetration testers so that I can internally look at where my data is as a defender and know unequivocally that's my critical data and then put offensive resources against it that I own in order to shrink the risk uh, associated with that data and reduce the surface area. And so to Kyle's point and to John's point, John's like, hey, defenders sometimes have the advantage. And I will say, yep, we know where our data is at. And then to Kyle's point, you can't protect it everywhere. So you got to try to reduce the surface area as much as you can. And the way you do that, in my opinion, uh, again, just Rich's opinion here is you invest in penetration testers. And so we internally in the DOD look at that as red teaming, right? We do it phenomenally in planning, in planning, phenomenally. Now we got to actually do it where it matters in, in real time and, and have people roll their sleeves up and internally look where we're vulnerable as it relates to where our data sets are. Um, so I thought I'd just add that in there as a side note, because I think the defense does have advantage of knowing what its critical data is. Sometimes knowing where and tracking that is what becomes hard. And then putting that kill chain together uh, of how I go from you know the outside in uh, to, to make a very general statement there becomes a non-trivial task. Like that, that is not easy. So I don't want to oversimplify the problem, but the defenders sometimes have the advantage of knowing where their data, what their data is. I keep messing that up. That's good. All right, sir. So the, the last thing we have for today is, uh, and, and this this is the first time we're doing the cast as well, because it's the uh, first time we've ended a year. Uh, we, we wanted to kind of take a, a retrospective moment and, and do a end of the year blameless postmortem. So kind of what, what happened this year and, you know, what do we hope that we can do better in, in 2021? Um, so, sir, either either you can take the the helm here or, or we can go through ours and then you can follow us. So I'm, I'll, I'll turn it uh, on its head and, and say that even in the midst of, of COVID, uh, I think it afforded us the opportunity to provide, uh, to take a more introspective look 
at what we're doing and, and how we're doing it. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I don't think without COVID, we're doing scrum like we were doing. Without COVID, we're doing OKRs like, like we were doing them. Uh, you think about everything that we did on the Office 365 front uh, and what it took to do it, right? I mean, you talk about focus, but, but it really for, forced us to have the focus required and, and to be able to do it in ways in the midst of the restrictions, uh, pre, pretty amazing. So I'm going to go back, you know, to, to things that you guys know are so important to me, but this uh, it's right on there. Kyle, if you were to walk into Laswell Hall, this would be the first thing that you would see when you walk into Laswell Hall. And it's, right on, on, on the wall there as you, as you come in. It says, people, ideas, and things in that order. Uh, that's that's my retrospective for the year. And, and it just re-galvanizes. And that is that is another Boydism. It's the Boyd Trinity. And, uh, but I'll tell you, you know, I, I, I knew it it's, it's the right idea and the right method, but it's, it's proven itself, especially in this challenging year. So that's my input, John. All right. Thank you, sir. That That's excellent. I'm actually going to kind of build off of what you just said. I, I, the biggest thing I took away from what you said there was focus. Um, and I, I think that's that's where I, I would you know personally try to do a little bit better. Um, so I, I think and it, it applies to a lot of the stuff that's been happening recently. I want to focus on results. I want to focus on instead of doing a, a bunch of really good things that we know need to be done, focus on the things that have to be done and specifically gathering information only that will lead to a decision or a change in action uh, and and being a little bit more forceful with you know either leadership or, or other organizations that are asking for information that doesn't drive decisions uh, focus because what we saw this year you know you can have awesome security pro- uh, products and if you get a, a weak password then it's going to have national level implications so so focus and making sure we're solving the right problems and disciplined about doing those things and and focusing on making sure the basics like simple passwords are are taken care of mm-hmm. before we go into something crazy like trying to implement ai and ml uh, while we still have bad passwords love it Rich, you want to go? Yeah. Yeah, man. I'll pick up from there. Um, so I think one of the things uh, <laughs> uh, to build off John Glavy's comment about uh, people uh, is the first thing uh, in priority order is, uh, so from two perspectives, from on the cast and not on the cast. So from from on the cast, I want to be less preachy in 2021, right? I want to, f- we started this cast as a way to kind of educate. No, yeah. say it ain't so. We want <laughs> Preacher Rich. What would it be without him? John, talk him out of that. That is, that's an insanity. Yeah, sir. If he, he stopped doing that, then I probably wouldn't be able to uh, chide him as much. And I would really lose a lot of satisfaction there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I want Rich to remain preachy and not just himself preachy, but the preaching of others. Like, you know, we need Rich at least once per episode to say, I'm not going to quote somebody and then quote somebody. That's like, it has to happen. <laughs> so, Kyle, that's fair. I'm going to, I'm going to grab that one and I'm going to run with that. <laughs> so uh, the, the reason I even brought that up, man, I was on mute laughing really hard um, on those comments, but no, I really appreciate it. Gentlemen, like it means a lot um, for me to be on this show and, and to spend time with you all. Uh, but I think, um, you know, being less, uh, uh, I guess, 
I'll use a phrase like mansplaining or preaching in nature. The reason why I bring that up is one, people don't like it, right? They like you to, to come across as somebody who you know, can be on their level. And then I guess to say humility can be a force multiplier at times, right? Like when you're winning, look around you, who's there? More than likely, they're contributing at rates you might not have noticed. Why? Because you're running at 95% utilization. So recognizing them in meaningful ways, you know, it fosters talent retention in, in an epic way. And so I think in, in 2021, if we keep talking about the challenges that, you know, the military and our nation face and, and, and our society face, I think that's winning and giving credit where credit's due. I think that's also winning. All right. So I'm going to follow you on that and say that I'm going to do a, a in cast and out of cast what I want to get better at. So in cast, I got two things that I want us to get better at. One, we, we really started this cast and gently got into inviting guests. And I think that we have since learned that there is immense value and power in bringing on amazing people. You know, um, the more generals that we can get to come on the show, I think generally the better. Uh, and, and other people who have diverse opinions and, and different viewpoints and everything else, because that really adds to the the... the I'll be silly, adds to the tapestry that we're weaving here in this podcast. Uh, and the second thing is that I want us all to get better at our pet words. So I'm not sure if any of you all listen to this podcast after it's released, but I kind of cringe as I listen to myself saying the word, uh, and so, and all these things that I do myself. And I want us to all get better at those things because, you know, being effective verbal communicators is critical in everything that we do. And then in the out of band, out of podcast, I've got to get back to reading more. So I am going to try as much as possible this year to focus a lot less of my time on more frivolous things and basically focus it on, you know, spending time with family and then spending time on bettering myself. And I'm going to try and get more knowledge in my brain as much as I possibly can. I got to catch back up on my commandant's reading list. And, and this guy, you know, Major General Glavy just gave us a bunch of additions that I need to now add to my list. So I'm, I'm literally on Amazon right now adding things to cart. So thank you, sir. Thank you, guys. Awesome. All right. So before we get out of here, Kyle, your final hot take of the year, what have you got for us? Oh, man, you're putting me on the spot just like that. Um, I'm going to steal from the general a little bit today. My final hot take is insatiable passion. He mentioned this earlier, and it literally just like every part of my body was like fist bumping in the air. Like, yes, uh, we do this podcast out of an insatiable passion to make the core better, to make our peers better, to make ourselves better. And I just want to say to everyone who listens to this show, thank you. You are awesome. I hope that you learn from this. Email us tweet at us, do all the things you can to share with us what we can do to be better at this because we want to make 2021 even more amazing for this cast. Uh, but end of your hot take, If you, whatever you do, have insatiable passion at it. Find what you love most in this world. Do it nights and weekends for the rest of your life. Find what you are the best at and do it all day. Thanks, guys. On that lovely note, Dear listeners, thank you so much for joining us. You can connect with us on social media by going to Twitter and following us at USMC underscore T-F-P-H-O-E-N-I-X. That's USMC underscore Task Force Phoenix. General Glavy, thanks again for coming on the cast. Everyone have a great rest of your holiday break. Thanks, you guys. And happy new year.